As we stand, let's pray. May I speak truth in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please sit down. A couple of weeks ago, The Guardian ran an article by a columnist who had cancer. This woman describes how going through her serious illness and its treatment, she learned that the support of her friends was invaluable. However, the article is actually entitled, 10 Things You Should Never Say to a Sick Person. And as an example, the cover showed a sympathy card which read, I feel so sorry for you, and by the way, you look awful. (laughs) Job is a man in extreme suffering. More than that, he is a believer in extreme suffering. Remember that in just one day, he has lost everything his livelihood, servants slaughtered, and all his children killed. Then Job himself is afflicted by a foul skin complaint. Sores break out all over his body. He has nightmares, fevers, bad breath, severe weight loss, and constant, constant pain from which there is no respite. All of this, out of the blue, to a man who we are told feared God and shunned evil. No wonder he cries out, why? No wonder he groans in turmoil. Surely such a man deserves friends to comfort him, to help him hold on to his faith in the midst of all this. Well, sure enough, the friends come. Chapter 2 tells us that his three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, go to sympathize with him and comfort him. After an initial period of silence, the friends have a great deal to say to Job. So, we hear Eliphaz speak, and Job reply. Bildad comes up, then Job, Zophar, and Job, and round we go again. Three rounds of increasingly heated argument, nine Bible chapters of so-called comfort. And then 16 of their impact on Job, who sums them up as miserable comforters are you all. Now, the word miserable actually means they were breathing out trouble. In other words, worse than being inept or irrelevant, they actually increased Job's anguish by what they said. Now, how we speak and what we say matters. For with words, we can encourage and strengthen others. But with words, we can also do them much harm. What would you have said to Job? What would you have said? 
That seems to be the question that is posed by these chapters. Now, this sermon is called, What Not to Say to the Suffering Believer. For God has caused the friend's words to be written down so that we can learn from them. And you might like to take some notes uh, on the piece of paper that I've given you. No pressure, but if that was helpful to you, just to remind you of some of the things uh, that you're going to hear this morning. So the first don't. Don't speak if you are not listening. Don't speak if you are not listening. Now, if you want to follow me, I'll give you the verses, but it's a bit dotting over the place, so it's up to you. But we're looking first at Job chapter 4 on page 511. Job has just poured out, as we heard, his anguish. And he's hurled his why questions at God. And he has longed for some peace. And Eliphaz's response, verse 2, is who can keep from speaking? Well, clearly not him, because he goes on for two whole chapters. He starts off in verses 3 to 6, basically saying, I don't see why you are so miserable, Job. Your words, verse 4, have supported in the past those who've stumbled. In other words, you were the one who offered comfort to others. But now the tables are turned, and you are the one suffering, verse 12. When trouble comes to you, you don't like it. It sounds like a telling off. It doesn't sound as though he has listened to any of Job's real pain. Then, very quickly, he moves away from Job's personal circumstances and starts giving him a lecture on life as he sees it. Verse 8, as I have observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it and are destroyed. This is to a man who has lost everything. And then, having given Job the benefit of two chapters of sermon on how God disciplines and then restores sinners, he concludes, verse 27, we have examined this and it is true, so hear it and apply it to yourself. No wonder, Job replies, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery placed on the scales. Job has been spoken to. He's been lectured at, but his anguish still cries out to be heard. Now, sadly, many of us have had the experience of feeling that a friend has not listened to our particular pain. They've been too quick to tell us what they think, to give us their own experience. Or, and this is one of my pet hates, to say, I know how you feel. It makes me want to scream. How can you possibly know how I feel? You cannot be on the inside of me where I am. To love someone is to listen to them 
and to go on listening to them. To listen far more than to speak. Second don't. Don't be quick to judge others. Don't be quick to judge others. When the friends find Job in such a dreadful state and they hear him crying out to God, why have you made me your target? They quickly assume that Job is guilty of sinning against the Almighty. So when Bildad asks in chapter 8, verse 3, does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Clearly Job and we, the readers, are supposed to answer no. God cannot be unjust. But therefore, the conclusion that all three friends draw is this. If a person suffers, he must have sinned. For they know that a just God always punishes wickedness and always blesses righteousness. Because to do anything else... Well, that would be unjust. And they find evidence for this in what has happened to Job's children. In chapter 8, verse 4. When your children sinned against him, God, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. In other words, that's why they died. Now, how insensitive is that? to a man who's lost all ten of his children. As far as they see it, the reason that Job himself is now suffering is because he too must have sinned against God. So the only answer for Job is to repent and plead for God's mercy. Verse 5. Now this is where their theology is inadequate. Yes, the Bible does teach that sin has consequences, and those involve suffering. Yes, the Bible teaches that hardship can be a place where God disciplines. But that does not mean that all suffering is due to sin. And it's certainly not the case for Job. In chapters 1 and 2, you remember twice, God himself proclaims that Job is blameless, upright, fears God, and shuns evil. And Jesus says much the same thing about the man born blind. Who sinned? This man or his parents? Ask the Pharisees, so sure in their judgment. And Jesus emphatically says, neither the friends are wrong to judge Job. And persistently saying things like, your sin prompts your mouth, or is not your wickedness great? They're not only untrue, but they're downright cruel. We need to be very wary of making assumptions and speaking judgmentally. First of all, we can never know all the aspects of someone's situation. And only God knows what is going on in any human heart. 
but to say or even to imply that suffering is someone's fault only adds to their pain. And that includes telling someone that their sickness is not healed because they do not have enough faith. Be very careful not to judge. Third, don't. Don't assume what God is up to. Don't assume what God is up to. The three friends seem absolutely certain that they know what God is doing in Job's life. It's so obvious. Job has clearly sinned in some way, and so, being just, God is using Job's suffering to rebuke him until he repents. We heard Zophar's words, chapter 5, verse 5, where he longs, Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. This friend is so sure that God would speak words of judgment against Job. And yet, at the end of the book, we will hear God say unequivocally to Eliphaz, I am angry with you and your two friends because you haven't spoken of me what is right. There is no place in their theology, for God to allow innocent suffering. And yet, God's word says much about the place of suffering within his loving purposes. And the supreme evidence of innocent suffering is, of course, the cross. There is no place in their theology either for the workings of Satan, the accuser, which were laid bare back in chapter 1, and therefore no sense of a spiritual battle playing out in the lives of human beings. With such limited theology, their words were bound to come out wrong. But we too must be careful not to make assumptions about God's plans for someone else and to place those assumptions on them. A Christian friend of mine had a happy marriage with two young children when her husband was diagnosed with a brain tumour in his 20s. For the next nine years, they struggled together through chemotherapy, radiotherapy, brain surgery, and the words and prayers of other believers that he would be healed. And he wasn't. And he died. Now, I am not saying those, those others were wrong to pray for healing. It's always okay to pray for healing. Nor to long with Liz that this would be God's outcome. But I do know that their conviction that this was in fact what God was doing made her bereavement even harder. And her faith has never been the same since. 
that Job managed to maintain his faith in God in the face of all his friends said to him, I find quite remarkable. But let's be wary of doing God's thinking for him, of having words from God for suffering believers and maybe placing extra burdens on them. And this is linked to my final don't. Don't be too ready with the answers. Don't be too ready with answers. The three friends, you see, they'd got everything sorted. They'd not only diagnosed why Job had got in such a mess, but they have all the spiritual solutions to his problem. Repent and be restored. It's all very neat and tidy, except that suffering isn't. I would say it's easy to see things in black and white until you personally encounter depths of pain and bewilderment. For suffering takes us into the grey, and keeping perspective is hard. So when Eliphaz chides Job's, are God's consolations not enough for you? It would have felt like rubbing salt into a wound. And when you tell someone in the depths of depression that Jesus Christ is all you need, it doesn't help them. Why have I got so many don'ts? Why so many pitfalls to supporting believers when they suffer? I think the answer relates to what Mark said last week. That believers feel a unique pain. They truly believe that God is in control of his world. And they truly believe that God loves them. And yet... And yet, he allows such awful, unbearable things to happen, even to those who love him. So the problem is there for the sufferer, and that may be you right now, listening to what I'm saying. And the problem is there also for the friends and family. Being alongside a loved one in pain is so painful to us. And it's even harder to bear if that pain connects strongly with our own experience or of those we feel close to. We feel vulnerable, we feel helpless, and our faith certainties are called into question. No wonder we find it hard to listen when they yell out or when they rail against God. No wonder we want to find quick solutions or to guarantee healing. We need to be honest with ourselves in a way Job's friends couldn't be if we are to be a true friend to someone suffering. So very briefly, what can, what should we do? Be kind. Be kind. The words of the three are not only wrong in their content, but they are heartless in their tone. They do not reflect the true nature of the God who is himself kind and forgiving and urges us 
always try to be kind to each other? Be kind. Secondly, be there. Be there. Suffering makes us feel terribly alone. As we said, no one else can feel what I feel. But Jesus wanted his closest friends there in the garden with him. So God looks for those who will be there alongside his suffering children for days, months, years. Your job is to incarnate God's love for them with arms that hold and tears that weep. And maybe just help them get through another day. And finally, pray. Pray. At no stage do we see the friends talk to God or listen to God. But Job cries out to him all the time. It may not sound like nice prayer. But from the depths, it's okay, like Job, to tell God how awful you feel. Even when you feel like he isn't there and he doesn't care. Job could have done with others willing to pray alongside. So could Jesus. Prayer is something we can always offer. To pray with the suffering, to pray for the suffering. Especially when they feel unable to pray themselves. For to pray is to bring God near. To speak the truth of his loving purposes when the person's suffering has lost all perspective. And to pray is to help them hold on. Hold on. So in conclusion, suffering is where each of us encounters more than any other human experience the mystery of God. The God who cannot be weighed in human scales. And encountering such a God is tough. Let's be those who will listen, love, and pray alongside when others suffer. Not judging, not rushing to sort it out, so that we will be truly comforted to keep faith with God. Let's pray. Some of us here this morning are in the place of Job, in that deep suffering. And God says to you, You are loved and you are not alone. And I pray that God gives you 
all you need to get through this day. And some of us are feeling bad because we sense we've messed up trying to help others. And God says to you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Bring me your mess and receive my forgiveness. And I pray God will give you all you need to show his love. And some of us are in the painful place alongside Job, alongside someone suffering. And God says to you, I know how you feel. Share your struggle with me. And I pray that God will give you courage to go on being there. And in prayer, I bring all of us into the arms of the loving Father, the wounded Son, and the comforting Spirit. Amen.